Kareem Ray, your host at the One Soccer Nation podcast, where we dive into the fascinating world of soccer with its most influential figures. Today, we're excited to welcome John Bellow, the co-founder and COO of Pathway, a platform dedicated to helping ambitious professionals grow their career in soccer. With a rich background in soccer, including being a former U.S. men's national team opposition analyst and a youth academy coach, John offers a unique blend of insights from his journey in the world of soccer. Let's dive into his experiences and perspectives on the game we all love. John, thank you so much for taking the time. How's it going? It's going good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to do this. Absolutely. So one of my favorite questions to always ask all my guests is, how did you get involved in the beautiful game? Yeah, from, uh, I mean, it was sort of, uh, um, I mean, my, my journey into it was a little bit not typical. It didn't happen right away. I like got done playing soccer and then started working in a different industry and then pivoted into it. So from a working perspective, it was more uh, following a passion at some point when I was, I was just like, what I'm doing is not working. Let me try this. And I kind of leaned into it then. And then, you know, from a playing perspective, I got into it and fell in love with the game essentially just through my father and playing as I was growing up uh, as a youth player in South Florida. He's from Columbia, South America. So naturally in the family, there's a lot of roots in soccer, so I was just drawn to it from a really early age, and that sort of continued throughout my entire career. So I've been I've been blessed to be able to make that my career as well. Nice, you know, going from a playing career and then transitioning after that was it hard for you, or was it easy? That's not hard at all. I mean, not, excuse me, it is very hard to do this. Like it is like uh, when I got done playing, I remember sitting on the bench in my last game and just being like, what's what's next? Because you're so used to just the the daily grind of waking up and like, okay, I got training now. Uh, I got to take care of my nutrition. I got to go to the training room, et cetera. And when you don't have that set schedule anymore, that's strange. And for a lot of people who are not really anticipating that re- harsh reality of when it's done, it's done. And now you have to move into the real world, so to speak. I probably wasn't ready for that, to be fair. And so it was a it was a difficult transition for me, which is why I said there was this period of time where I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do, because um, I had always just thought I would play forever. <laughs> Most people probably do. Right. But not an easy transition um, and definitely something I, I struggled with at first. But you get through it, you know, and I had good people around me. Amazing. Could you share your journey from playing at the College of Charleston to becoming an influential figure in the soccer industry? Yeah, like I said, it wasn't a typical pathway. I mean, the very beginning might sound typical because, you know, you you sort of gravitate to what you know, which was coaching. And I got into coaching at DC United Academy, first working with their camps and training programs and sort of got my coaching voice there and developed it. And then uh I started working with teams as a head coach and worked my way up through the different age categories, eventually took on roles as a director of scouting. I built their residential program when we launched that. I think, I think it was 2017 in, in, um, in D.C. Uh, with the Calverton School in Southern Maryland. So there, was, there were different experiences that I had along the way. And then 2018, hard pivot. I was just like, I'm done team coaching. I want to try to take my my life back. I want to get my nights back, my weekends back, things of that nature, and control my schedule more. And at the time, I was leaning pretty heavy into the use of tech integrated into my workflows on a weekly basis and trying to expedite uh, how I teach players and how they can learn and take on information, primarily through the use of film, not necessarily data. So I was really interested in going hard into that space because I saw an opportunity where 
uh, film was being like captured everywhere, but nobody was really using it at all. So I created my own performance analysis company where I was working with high potential youth players. And I did that for about three years full time. That was my that was my only gig that I was doing and paired that with on field training, which was really interesting, like to pair the two worlds together. So I'm essentially like an extension of a team, but more like, like an individual coach is how you could think of me. And then, you know, the national team came calling in 2021. I had an opportunity to interview with them as they were looking for an opposition analyst with a unique skill set. And my experience is because they were a little bit varied and I had focus in different areas. I think I had some qualities at the time that suited me well for what they were looking for in that moment. And so it, it just ended up matching up very well. And I was a little bit hesitant because it's a it's a different level, and uh, of course, and I wasn't really sure if team football was where I wanted to be. But it's the you know the opportunity to work with the best of the best and go to a World Cup. So I I, I did it, leaned hard into that, and uh, it was a great experience. And I don't regret anything about that that time with the national team. It was amazing. So you know, going all the way from working with youth players all the way to senior national team, I've sort of seen it all. But uh, I've been blessed in my career, man, to to just be really connected with good people and learn a lot of good things and then also be in the right in, play, in the right place at the right moment and take the chance when I had it. That's amazing. Working with the U.S. men's national team is, as you mentioned, the top of the top. You're working with the best players around the world, the best team. Going into that environment, were you prepared or were there things that you had to do to prepare to be ready? I don't know if anything would prepare you for going into it if you've never experienced it before. Part of that is just living like living it and learning and adapting. And that's one of my one of my strong suits is I'm a fast learner. Like an example would be the language that Greg and his staff would speak. Uh, you know, they have a way in which they talk about things and how they describe the game, which was totally I didn't have that because I wasn't working in a team environment. I understand what the language is, but I just didn't know their language. So learning that and their principles and their rules and things like that, that took time. So it was sort of a thing of just, uh, you don't really know what you're getting into until you do it and you get in there and you just start going with it. And you, every time you have a little win, you get something right. You feel like you get a little more confidence. So you just build all the time. And to be fair, the guys in there were great. Uh, the whole coaching staff itself really, really worked with me and particularly BJ Callahan. Like we worked really, really close together and, out like if without that support yeah it would have been really difficult but i felt confident with those guys around me that i could get it done amazing you got the u.s men's national team jersey behind you as well yeah Akira, there you go. nice yeah you mentioned, there we go. you mentioned the world cup one of the biggest events in the world that happened uh every four years what year were you at the world cup and how was that experience yeah 2022 in qatar it was wow yeah that was amazing um you dream about it as a kid, right? That it's like, I'm going to go there as a player. And I ended up getting there, but not as a player, but as a staff member on the technical staff. So I still got there, <laughs> which, yeah. was, which was so cool. And uh, there, there was a really, um, I think what I try, I tell this part about it, because I think this is so unique and you don't really know until you get there, but there's an emotion that comes over you when you get to like that first group stage game, you know? And it's like the pride of representing your country and like all the things that you've done in your life that have led you to that moment, you start to think about, right? And that was so cool for me. So for me, like I told you, my father and I, we have this really close relationship. And so I called him and like, we just start crying. Like it was just such an emotional, like 
I was thanking him for everything he did for me when I was a youth player, driving me around to all these places. And you think about that, the effort that he made, because he also had four other children. So he was giving me a lot of attention, you know, going to these games, which I appreciate. But man, it was like uh, that overcomes and gets you have that moment. It was so cool. And then it was like, all right, let's go to work. And then it's just, you know, the game itself, man, you could have put that game for me probably in any country in the world, in any stadium, and I wouldn't have known the difference. I was so dialed into what was going on in the field, so it didn't matter. Uh, but the the level of play and just seeing it up close in person and the preparation that goes into it, and then, like, once you get into it, oh, man, it's it's a beast. But it is so cool. Like, what an experience, you know? Absolutely. John, you being someone that has done it, lived it, experienced it, being at the World Cup, being a part of a, a national team, you know, these are huge accomplishments. What advice would you give to people, individuals that are within the soccer space, just in the beginning or in the middle of their career that want to tap into opportunities like this? Can you just share a little bit about how this opportunity came about and how individuals can best position themselves to get into an opportunity like this anywhere around the world? Yeah, I mean, I you know, soccer is such a network-based industry, man. And you know that. And part of it is just building that network that you have of coaches. And the one thing I love about soccer is that you're always just one step removed from somebody, you know, that's what it feels like. Everywhere that I go, somebody knows somebody that I know. And everybody who's listening will have that same experience, you know, at any place that you go. So, but building that network, and I think I leaned in at an early age, like not an early age, but 2018 is probably where I really started leaning in and just saying, I'm going to try to get coffee with as much people as I can. I'm going to just schedule Zoom calls with people that will give me time. But I'm also going to like do my research and I'm going to ask really good questions. And I'm going to come really prepared because what I think falls under people's radars is that like the small details make such a difference when I ask a really thoughtful question to somebody who may be in a leadership role and they'll remember me or they'll remember my name. And you never know when that'll come back around, but I always tell young up and comers, like that's how they should be thinking about it. It's not just building the network, but it's like you're building relationships. You know, that's the key thing there. Um, and then gaining as much relevant experience in your area of expertise that you want to go to as much as possible, you know, and, you have to go get exposure where you can. And sometimes if you're in a remote part of the United States, let's just say, and you don't have direct access to high-level coaches in your network or in your area, like you're not around an MLS team, you're going to have to make the effort. You're going to have to go to conventions. You're going to have to go to courses. You're going to have to go to expos, whatever it might be. But you have to do those things. Uh, otherwise, you just staying where you are. You'll never, you'll never progress, right? Um, and you got to get a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, and then I think the last piece for me, and this, I didn't really, this came about with the national team. And I didn't really realize this was that they were looking for different skill sets. One of the things that I could do really well was I could take a, like the idea of the game of football, which can be overcomplicated to a lot of degree. And I can simplify it and be really, really clear and articulate about the points that I'm trying to get across. And that was a strength of mine. So when they saw that, uh, they were like, okay, this kind of this, he has a very good foundation to build upon. It wasn't that I knew everything and I wasn't an expert presenter and I wasn't an expert in analysis. I needed to learn their language. I needed to learn their phases, but I had the foundation and they could see a value add because I had a work product that I could show them examples of me doing those things. So 
that's the last thing that I would say is just to have a portfolio of work ready to roll. Like I, if it's a coach, have sessions or you record in doing team talks, whatever it is, whatever your strength is, make sure that you can clearly showcase that in a work product that a leader could see and say, yeah, I know how this guy can add value right away. Amazing. How old were you when you were at the 2022 World Cup? 35. Oh, no. I was 36 years old. Oh, I turned 36 just after I left. So I was 35 at the World Cup. Got it. So second quarter of life, pretty seasoned at that point within the yeah. space, really well connected. And, uh, I, you know, I totally resonate with everything that you're saying and have taken those steps personally. And um, 100% networking. Soccer is a very small world. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Um, Going to events is amazing. Connecting with other individuals within the space and speaking the same language and learning from each other is amazing. And that's why I love podcasts. And podcasting brought us together. Um, you know, we connected through Kyle. So uh, networking is very powerful. I want to go a bit back here, John. You know, you chose the path. There's so many pathways, pathway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in soccer, and. Um, you know, you got coaches, scouts, agents, so many different paths. Why, how, like, why was it coaching for you? Uh, it was really about the, well, okay, first, honestly, it was like, this is the only thing that I know was coaching. I mean, two of the biggest influences in my life were three of them. Uh, my father, Coach Tom Durkin from IMG Academy in South Florida, who was my high school coach, and, and uh, sorry, and Derek Harrington, my high school coach, and then in college, Coach Ralph Lundy from College of Charleston. So you think these guys, they were the four most influential male role models in my life that I was around, and they were all coaches. And I was like, man, I want, I think I want to be a coach, you know? Um, so I think that was that was what originally where I was like, all right, let me just lean into this, you know, let me just do this and let me try this out. I wasn't really sure where it would go or where it would take me, but that's all I really knew, to be fair. And then once the analysis thing came about, that was like a totally different idea that I, that was like, that wasn't even an option when I first started uh, working in the sport. So that was something that actually the sport had evolved to adopt more analytics into it and analysis processes into it, into a coach's workflow. And I was like, oh, wow, there's actually individual positions for each of these things. So uh, it's grown since I've started, but originally I just was, it's what I knew best and that's what I wanted to do and have those relationships with the players. Got it. Okay, so I, you know, just a, a few moment, uh, a few seconds ago, I mentioned Pathway. Yep. Uh, you are the co-founder of Pathway. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to co-found Pathway, and how does it aim to support individuals looking to build a career in soccer? You know, uh, Pathway is like this idea. That I really love this idea of mentorship, and that came from like just my time you know, being a coach and like helping players get to a certain point to some degree. And as a youth coach, it was like help people get to like that pro level or to college or whatever it was. And there's a great sense of like satisfaction to me in my life and purpose in my life when I help people get to those places. And it ended up being a, a, for me personally, the same thing with Pathway is, can I help someone who's a career pivoter, been in this industry for a long time, who has all these awesome skill sets and is a great person, find this great job in soccer or this up and comer who's in the first five years of career of their career, get that job in soccer. And I think it's like, I just, I want the sport 
to explode and to do so well in the United States. I really am. I really do. And I think that all these people, like if you help people, the right people get into these, into these roles, whatever influence I can have in that process, I think the best, the better. So, you know, we aim with pathway at the beginning, just to be a really high value add resource to any one of those personas who's trying to get in and build a career in the sport. And we do that through a weekly publication that we send out where we're trying to uh, we're trying to capture the insights from people who have done it or are in the struggle of it or whatever. Like we're trying to like basically show people that there's multiple avenues that you can be thinking about getting into the sport. It may not be directly working with a team. Maybe you just haven't thought of that yet. So we want to we want to provide as much um, of a diverse like perspective as we can there, but then also be really practical with the advice and the tips that we're pr- providing given our experience and saying, hey, like if you want to think about building your network, here's some things you could do right now and you could implement them into your workflow of like trying to build your network as a, as a recent graduate, for example. So, you know, we're at the beginning here it was let's provide this resource and then we're launching now things like a you know a recruitment opportunity that came about with Austin FC and MLS where we're helping them source a candidate for a project marketing role position uh, or project manager role in their marketing department and it's an awesome opportunity and we put it out into our community and you know we've had people apply through it and there's a lot of excitement around that and I think we're really we're putting ourselves in a position I think where we can help facilitate better connections between employers who are looking for talent and talented people who want to work in the sport. I love what you guys are doing. Um, you know, when we first spoke about it, it reminded me of in, in the platform called Indeed. And I, if I remember correctly, I think you said it, it is, but for soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ever since you've mentioned that, I try not to listen to too many podcasts in the soccer space. Well, I'm doing it more now. I like to produce instead of consume. So, you know, one of the things after we spoke, one of the things I, um, I heard a few times was hiring for sports is a relationship-based thing that occurs. And I was like, okay, this is, this is interesting because I'm still fresh into this space two, three years in now. Mm-hmm. And um, hearing that and, and speaking to you, I said, "Okay, this is so cool. What you guys are doing and what you guys are creating in this space is needed." Um, so, can you share, um, like, how how much of a demand there is within the soccer space, and where do you see this going to in the next? Let's say we're in twenty twenty four, in the next two years with the World Cup coming. Yeah, I mean, we're we're we saw the problem that was like out there. Right. And it is, if it's, if it is a very relationship based industry, well, everyone's network is only so big. Right. And uh, sometimes positions at clubs or colleges or wherever are willing to go outside of their direct network. They just don't have the, they don't have those tentacles going out into the rest of the, the United States or wherever they want to get a candidate from. So, you know, our subscriber base, that's what we were trying to build initially is like, let's try to get a wide, base of people from multiple parts of the United States. And that's what we've grown pretty significantly. And the traction early on has been has been great for us. Like we've we've grown substantially since we first launched on November 1st. So we can tell right away that the messaging it resonates with people who are following Pathway. And we've maintained a very high open rate on our newsletters, which we're very proud of because I think it just tells us in the feedback that we're providing a lot of value for our subscriber base. And that's super important to us 
is otherwise people just wouldn't read what we're putting out there. So you know, I think we've we've hit a nerve on that sense. And now it's about learning sort of the, you know, what's going on on the job seeker side and the challenges that they face, which, you know, we, we, we see the network and all these things. And then also the challenges on the employer side, because naturally there's a lot of curiosity coming from clubs and uh, presidents or, you know, hiring managers coming to us and saying, well, what do you guys got going on? And what kind of services do you guys offer? You know, and things like that. So we're, we're exploring both sides essentially. And, we want to be well positioned, which we think we are, with what we feel will be an explosion of jobs in this country with the tournaments coming in the next few summers, like with Copa America coming, with the FIFA World Cup coming, which with, with an expanded pool of teams coming. I mean, you see it already how many jobs FIFA's posting on the job boards in the United States already. So we know that it's it's coming. Um, but the the growth potential is huge in this space. Um, and so we feel like we're we're in a good position to service a lot of people and help get people in good positions uh, and good roles. I need to check that out. Uh, I need to see these FIFA job positions because they're just like, it's just for the tournament, right? It's just a one-time working experience. Got it. Some of them, some of them, yes, and some of them, no. Some of them are a little bit could be potentially more long-term. But you know, even the federations, if you think about it, uh, they will all come and set up base camp in you know certain locations of the United States. And then, you know, the, what will be different about Qatar, though, is like Qatar, we were all in a, in a, we were in one single location for the entire trip. We didn't have to move at all. But now you're going to have teams playing a group stage game in this city, then having to move and relocate to this city, this city. So you'll have teams moving ahead of the team to set up shop and get things there. There's a lot of moving parts that are going to happen in this World Cup logistically on the, on, that people just won't see or know. And, you know, teams and federations are going to be looking for people to come work with them and their and them for this World Cup. So it's pretty exciting. I think there could be some really good opportunities for people, not just short term, but also long term. Amazing. Okay, so, John, you've been in in soccer for about a decade plus. Um, Where do you see the future of soccer? You know, we got the Copa America coming up 2026 before World Cup and and maybe a FIFA, a women's FIFA World Cup? Yeah, I mean, the sport itself, you know, is going to explode here. It did it in, what, 94, then it did it in 99 with the Women's World Cup, and then it'll happen again here. So I think it's just natural that the, you'll see in the next few years more excitement around the sport, more people talking about the sport. Obviously, there's a lot of attention in MLS right now with guys like Messi, and you see what they're doing down there, creating their little super team in South Florida. So... There's a lot. There's a lot going down, um, and the league's getting so much better, man. The quality of the teams is getting so much higher. So it's, yeah, no, it's 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 growing, and therefore, along with it, I think the opportunity for people to work in it is also growing, and I think that's great. So I see it kind of going both ways, um, and then as that grows, you know, there will be this trickle down effect to like the youth players, and I think it'll be really exciting to see the inspiration that these major tournaments have on the youth in our country, just going and seeing these players play at such a high level, man, it's going to be awesome. And I think about when I was growing up, I don't, I didn't really have it. I didn't appreciate it. In 94, I was seven years old and I hadn't even played soccer yet because I grew up until I was seven in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All we did was play American football and ice hockey. So I moved to South Florida at seven years old and I wasn't even really a fan of it at that point yet. So, and then I got into it, but now like I can see, you know, how that will change if I had a major tournament when I was, you know, nine or 10 years old playing soccer 
if I was able to go watch a World Cup game in America, oh my gosh, like that would have been crazy for me. So uh, it's going to, I think it'll explode. Yeah, it, it's so interesting how these events or certain experiences can change our engagement with certain things. And the World Cup is the biggest. I remember, you know, going to my first MLS game at Toronto FC at, at the age of 13 versus when I was 16. Uh, watching Everton versus Arsenal, two completely different experiences. And ever since I got that taste in the UK, I was like, soccer, soccer is soccer, but football in Europe is completely different beast. Yeah. Um, and just the atmosphere, the energy, the, 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 the talent. US and Canada, they're coming up to it now. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of, you know, we're seeing a lot of teams pop out left, right, and center. Um, a lot of soccer is expanding at different levels. So it's it's so cool to see. Um, but I want to... Well, it's, it's actually... Sorry, just to catch you off there. It's actually a really a real career now, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. you have, like... When I, when I graduated in 2010 from college, you know, local USL players weren't making that much money, man. It wasn't a great, like, pivot into my career to just like keep chasing this dream and even if i was going to sign an mls contract i likely would have been put on a developmental contract which also wasn't great so now you know you, you have league minimums you have all this stuff that's going on it's an actual career where a kid growing up right now they have no idea how lucky they are with the systems that are in place for them to move through like vertically in the youth system to get promoted up and move into a first team and sign a contract and make actual a real a real salary and make a real living from it and you can have a career it's like that just didn't exist when we were coming up so i think it it's amazing like it's awesome to see the development of the league like you i was a mutiny fan tampa bay baby like that was my team and uh, you know carlos valderrama uh roy lassiter those guys were so awesome uh steve ralston like i loved going to those games and that for me was like my inspiration i wanted to be lp bay I just, you know, I ran a little bit more than he did, you know, but like he was so good. You should see this guy and how he passed the ball and he never lost it. Like he never missed a pass. And I would go home to train and I'd be like, I'm not missing a pass today, man. Like I'm trying to be like my guy. And that's what I would try to do. But uh, I think now the kids have so much access, right, to every game in EPL and the Bundesliga and you name it, right? So, uh, you know, I hope. I hope the growth of the sport of MLS in this country in particular will draw fans in and draw the youth in and they become real true fans of the game here in the United States. Absolutely. I know we're talking a lot about a lot of the good aspects of the beautiful game. I want to ask you one bad thing, though. <laughs> okay. Or, or one potential bad thing, which okay. I don't normally do. I always keep it positive and good. But what challenges do you see us facing, you know, with the next gen growing up with all these short form contacts? Uh, content tiktok youtube shorts instagram reels um so you know i've seen uh pk from barcelona they've created a, a, a you know a 5v5 something 5v5 in europe where it's fast paced it's live streamed and you know a lot of goals a lot of actions you know the 11s more slow paced and not a lot of goals so on and so forth so where do you see um, the future of soccer with the next gen growing up and how, how are we keeping their attention and so on and so forth it's just a different generation and i think coaches have to like you kind of got to adapt to it i mean you think about when i was growing up you know you know in the when i started playing 
you know, what we didn't have cell phones, you know, so I didn't have that distraction. If I was bored, I went to the park, you know, and I wouldn't, I would do, I would go kick the ball at the field and I would get a buddy and we would go try to hustle kids. We would have like, we'd have five bucks and we would go challenge kids to a dollar a game and we would try to make money so we could go eat Mickey D's afterwards. Like that's what we were doing. <laughs> that's what we were doing. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't think kids do that anymore. I don't think so. So it's a different day and age. And as I was coaching, you know, at DC United Academy, I'll never forget one trip. I was in the terminal with the team and we're flying and nobody was talking. And I kept getting all these, these comments from people saying, hey, your team is so well behaved, John. And I was like, oh, that's strange because <laughs> I know like they're, you know, they're teenagers. And I look over and they're all playing the same video game on their phone, but they're all interconnected with each other, but they're not actually talking to each other. They're just playing the game with each other on their phones and they're all staring at it. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so, you know, it's a it's a challenge, man. It's like just to get kids to, I think, this day and age to really like lean in. But, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody about this. And I think there's just like, you know, when we were coming up, man, we had a fight for everything that we wanted. Like if I really would have gone and tried to fight for a pro career, I would have made terrible money for the first probably four to five years of my career. And I would have really had to like grind it out get there. Boom, boom, boom. You know, these kids now are signing homegrown contracts and they're making they're making six figures coming out of high school or they're signing an NIL in college and they're making, you know, they're making serious cash right away. And I'm like, that's, it's like, that's not what we experienced, you know? So it's like this instant gratification of like, I'm a good player. I don't really need to work for it. That's a challenge. So these, these kids and the families, they need really, really good support systems around them to keep them grounded, to keep them focused, to keep working hard. And I think like the ones who do that right will have long-term success in the sport and they'll get it, right? They'll understand it. And there's a lot of those kids out there. Uh, but I think, you know, there's, uh, there's that whole, the whole group of guys that that happens to them too fast and too early. And then you ask what they're doing at 19 and they're not even playing football anymore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to ask you, what advice would you give to up-and-coming soccer talent on or off, on or off the field? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of they kind of both go together, right? So what I would say, like what I try to tell youth players, and I say the same thing to professionals who want to work in the sport. I'm like, if you had to describe yourself as a player or a professional in one sentence or two sentences, what are you telling people? Like, what's your elevator pitch about yourself? You know, so. If I have a player who says like, oh, I'm a good passer, you know, or I'm like, I'm fast. It's very general. You know what I mean? It's not applicable to anything. But if I have a, if I could describe a player and say, hey, his ability to time runs in behind the back line as a fullback overlapping, like he can move up into a position, time his runs and run behind the back line with speed over and over again. It's like, that's one thing, right? That's a skill set that he has, or he's an expert crosser. Like that, and those are there's those are few and far between these days now. You know what I mean? Like no one's David Beckham anymore. There's not any guy who's known for his crossing. But what if you were? Is my point right? So it's the same thing that goes for professionals trying to break into the sport. Um, much like I had, I was like I had a, a really clear skill set of of uh, simplifying complex topics and presenting it in a way that was extremely digestible right away by players or coaches. You know, it could the way I delivered it could go to either, you know? So 
that's what I would say for both of them is that it needs to be really clearly defined what your skill set is. And you need to need to lean into that as your superpower, so to speak. So we're going to end off here. Thank you for joining us for this enlightening conversation with John Bellow. His rich experience and insights offer a unique perspective on the soccer industry from grassroots development to the global stage. We hope this discussion has been inspiring and informative for all soccer enthusiasts. Stay tuned for more episodes as we continue to explore the intriguing stories and trends shaping the world of soccer. John, it's been a pleasure having you on the One Soccer Show podcast. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me. Oh, 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 oh